Hello everyone, Dr. Asistoris here. Welcome to episode 10 of Physicians Heal. In this episode, Arlene and I talk about medicine as ministry and man, I mean, we talked about a lot of things too, like uh, love, suffering, I mean, it's all in there. Sit back and enjoy. Jason, hi. Arlene, how are you? I am feeling um, excited for today. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's a unique story, but I think uh, he the story that we're getting into mentioned some keywords that that really struck me mm. and, and prompted me to do a little bit more of um, interior investigation. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Yes, so Dr. Athanasius shared his story today, and it's interesting because he answered the questions very uh, specifically, Mm -hmm. and in that, he also opened up some spaciousness for us to have those really, this uh, deeper discussion, and as you said, to kind of do some investigation. (laughs) I like that. I like that. That's one of my favorite words with patients. I don't know why I used it. You use it with patients? I use you? it like I will investigate your symptoms. I kind of like ah. say that instead of saying, let me do a workup. Oh. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of the vocabulary I developed over the years. Yeah. <laughs> so introducing some curiosity into that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't give me, it doesn't give the sense of finality that I know mm. what's going on. Yeah. You know, I mean, well. true enough, we're, medicine is a lot of detective work, right? It is. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Wow, you bring in the mystery to it. I like that. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, so I guess um, with this story, because of the um, succinctness of his responses, mm-hmm. we've decided that you'll give our initial set of questions again, mm-hmm. and then I'll just give his answers, and then we'll talk about his story after the last response. I sure. Guess. Yeah, Okay. Okay, All right. so the first question, please provide some information that could introduce yourself to our audience. What is your clinical background? So I am a board certified internist and nephrologist. I have been retired since 2019. I was in clinical practice in nephrology for 40 years. Okay, question two, what's the story of your burnout journey? Where are you on that journey? In the last decade of my practice, there was a significant increase in kidney patients. EMR documentation in the dialysis centers was getting more complicated. It took away from from time spent with patients. And when our practice was acquired by the dominant hospital system in our area, there was the added pressure to beef up more encounters. Again, this resulted in less meaningful time with patients. Question three. Is there anything that brings you strength, peace, and or hope in this part of your journey? If yes, what is it? If not, where might you find it? Looking back, I felt that medicine is a ministry. I have been blessed to hear my patient stories with their vulnerabilities. It is my hope that administrators and third-party payers reimburse patients for quality time spent rather than quantity of encounters. 
Mm. All right. That's true. That is true. Mm -hmm. Okay. And wonderfully enough, Dr. Athanasius uh, listened to our podcast and returned and and gave us some feedback and Mm. a follow-up after that. Mm Mm-hmm. So he sent a response saying, After hearing your episodes, it brought to mind my deep struggles with all the feelings of insecurity, doubt, and overwhelming powerlessness. It was at this point when slowly felt pulled by grace, Merton's books Seven Story Mountain and Thoughts in Solitude Help me turn the corner and surrender to God and cried for help. I had spiritual counselors broaden my outlook with contemplative prayer and practice. Mm. Ah, wow. Okay. Wow. There are so many themes to pull out in these few words. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Love yeah. Yeah. That's fun. It's actually. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, coincident. Well, I don't know if you can call it coincidental, but I just saw his um, res- follow-up response mm-hmm. today. Today, mm-hmm. now that we're recording this um, yes. podcast, and and I wish I could have returned to those Merton books. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But but yes, yeah, Seven Story Mountain was also uh, something that mm-hmm. initially drew me to the to the practice of silent prayer, mm-hmm. um, or at least. Uh, sparked my curiosity with yeah. with that um yeah so so many it's just a very short story <laughs> but um i think we could take this in, in in a lot of ways actually um why don't i let you start is there anything that mm-hmm. that really stood out for you or mm-hmm. um struck you in mm-hmm. in his responses well, I think just kind of expounding a little bit on, on Merton, um, I would say that when I think about, you know, the top three um, in, you know, spiritual sort of authors in my life that I follow, mm. Merton was number one, mm. like from the very beginning. Mm. I, I have one book of his, um, The Thomas Merton Reader. Actually, oh, okay. I don't think I've, I, yeah. I don't, I've never yeah. encountered that. Yeah, okay. No, so I'll have to show it to you. So yeah. I actually got that when I was in undergrad. And that has been the one book that has, like, I've faithfully, like, brought with me everywhere. Mm. I've not read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's, but I, I, this was one of the things where I would just open up. Yeah, I have a know? number of books like that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And there's just all this just amazing condensed wisdom in that. And so again, just like you, Thomas Merton, and sort of bringing us even now, so many of us even now, yeah. to the world of contemplative prayer. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, between him and Richard Rohr and Bishop Barron, I feel that... Are those your top three? Those are my top three. Ah, yeah. Those are my top three. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, Merton is the the person in the world that went into, you know, the monastery. And like, he's sort of the person that I wanted to be, right? I was in the world and I wanted to dive deep into the religious life and into silence. Yeah, yeah. Again, not surprising, especially (laughs) knowing your story that you almost considered, you know, the religious life. Uh, Merton... Yeah. Has drawn so many people yes. into that into th- um, religious life. Yeah, 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 and I just you know I think that his example of being both perfectly human and really an intelligent man in the world who loves words. I think you know, and then yeah. who even in his monastic life was able to um, 
to make connections with people all over the world. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like his his ability to connect through letters um, and to, to kind of dive into Eastern religion and to figure out ways in which we could bring the both and, you mm-hmm. know, like even mm-hmm. in his own life, I think was... I mean, so that is, I think, beautiful. And then I think mm. now being grounded in um, Father Richard Rohr and his sort of being on the, what, how is it? Like the inside of the per- periphery, on the inside of the edges or something like that. Okay, okay, how, what's okay. What's his terminology? I think he's, the, the in- yeah, I can. I think that is correct. Inside the edge yeah. of the circle or something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and he's referring to, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, in the context of, our spiritual tradition. Yes. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. definitely not in the center of that. Yeah. He's, he's pushing out kind of like in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what does he call it? Uh, an alternative orthodoxy. orthodoxy. There right, you go. right. Mm-hmm. He's still very grounded. Like he's, I mean, obviously as a priest, right, he's very much into, he recognizes the tradition of the church and he recognizes, um, you know, all of our church history and has the knowledge of that. And... Um, just as Bishop Barron is actually able to speak into that with such great intellect and yet also with great ability to make it understandable. To I feel like Bishop you know, Barron, though, and, and we're totally kind of like digressing <laughs> here. We're diving deep into our spiritual tradition. Uh-huh. But, I mean, it's our podcast. So <laughs> That's right. We have the right. <laughs> anyway, um, I feel like Bishop Barron's more at the center Mm-hmm. And Richard Rohr more, is more at the yeah, periphery, periphery, but I love the scope that they provide in yes. the middle of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so. For me, the thing that stood out immediately with Dr. Athanasius's story mm-hmm. is um, his reference to medicine as ministry. Mm. And um, I, I that, that for me... I think resonated so much because that's also to a certain degree or to a large degree, even what kept me in medicine. Mm. Uh, remember there was a point in my story where I was thinking of leaving too. Yes. So I kind of, I I took a dive deep into the meaning of what, what does it mean for medicine to be a ministry? And, um, I, 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 kind of like did your strategy of going to the root word of, of ministry, Ooh. you know, like, mm-hmm. so um, it comes from the root word minister, you know, or I think in Latin, I'm not sure if it's ministrare or ministerium, but hmm. both, both words kind of refer to the act of, of being a servant or the act Ooh. of service, you know, wow. all right. Okay. Um, or the, a minister is, in, in, in the dictionary is a person or thing or rather the ministry in the dictionary is a person or a thing through which something is accomplished. So the the image of of a servant or an instrument of something else, you know, and it threw me back to one of our previous conversations of grace as gift. Yeah. Right. When when I when I kind of thought about Grace's gift again, I I just couldn't help, you know, um, having to, I guess, go to its implications. If Grace is gift, there is a giver, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. not, not not especially in the spiritual realm in the 21st century, there's this level of spirituality that, that tends to uh, not require the presence of of a giver okay. or, or 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 a 
divine lover, as we've you've mm-hmm. mentioned in the past. Yes. Um, but the perspective of great grace as gift, again, for me, implies the presence of a giver. And now we're entering the, the, I guess, the realm of ministry. And the disposition of being a servant implies the presence of a master. You know, and so you mentioned Richard Rohr earlier and Father Richard Rohr back in the late 90s did a lot of this work with men's initiation. Are you familiar with his work? I've heard yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he would preach on these five, you know, kind of like universal patterns or truths that he found in his research across cultures okay. with with men's initiation rites. And just to give people a little bit of context into his um, work there, um, he found that um, in primitive cultures, you know, I guess you can say pre-colonial history, you know, the, the presence of initiation rites for men in particular Mm -hmm. was almost if not entirely universal there would always be an initiation of of men in in some sort of spiritual context okay okay and it wasn't as predominant in fact was very rare for women to have initiation rites and his theory was that the monarchy you know Mm -hmm. process and even um, labor itself, like when you deliver a child, you know, served as a catapult for women in and of itself into a almost spiritual dimension because automatically they recognize that their lives are not about them, you know. Um, Oh, yeah, I can see that. But for men, it, it seems like men have this tendency to remain on the surface of life. And and I'll bring that into the present day context, um, especially since right now we, we we pretty much don't have any initiation rights anymore. That's you know? true. At least not universally. Um, so uh, for the common person in our age, you know, life is pretty much all about, you know, getting a job, uh, starting a family, you know, getting a house and a car, mm-hmm. maybe on the side, some sports or whatever hobbies <laughs> you may have, you know, and then that's it, you know, but in the light of eternity, none of those matter, <laughs> you know, none of us tend to, uh, at least for most of us, it's very, there's no instinct for us or no drive or stimulus or requirement for most of us to dive deeper hmm. into the, the, the deeper dimensions of, of living. But anyway, yeah. going back to Richard Rohr's work, he found that throughout these initiation rites, there were five essential patterns that, that he found or truths. Number one is life is hard. Uh. Okay. And in fact, Buddhism has four noble truths. The first one is life is suffering. So it, it mm. kind of like resonates in that yes. level. Uh, number two, you are not important. Ooh. I like that, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And these are provocative these patterns, are. you know. Number three, your life is not about you. Huh. You know, and I've heard Bishop Barron actually um, echo that as yes. well in some of his sermons. Number four, you are not in control. Mm. Okay. And then number five, you are going to die. Oh. Right. 
These are like provocative truths, which young men are usually thrust into、mm-hmm. during these initiation processes. Like you、oh. know, you're sent into the wilderness for like a period of time, usually weeks if not months. You know,、okay. and then by the end of it, if you survive, you essentially have this overwhelming、um, sense of these five. Wow. Truths, you know, you know. Okay. Imagine being thirteen years old, you know,、mm-hmm. in the desert,、mm-hmm. you know, with nothing but let's say, you know, maybe a knife, you know, and then、yeah. something to start a fire with, or, you know, you, you know, and then you pretty much come back after you know, the, these kinds of initiation、yes. rites, you know, and supposedly, at least through Father Roar's books, you know, these five truths are kind of like、um, inculcated in. In, in the men who undergo these initiation rites, and going back to the concept of ministry, of being a servant,、mm. I gravitated towards the third truth, which is your life is not about you;、mm. it's about the master. <laughs> you know, if you're a servant, then you're not important. You're not as important as、okay. as the master. Um, and then it introduces this dimension of, of, or at least the paradigm shift of life as something that we don't live out, but instead is done or lived unto us.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And、uh, I don't know. I think you kept mentioning the concept of love, and I, I love it. I mean, love is is at the center of. I think a lot of our vocations, and、um, in contrast to what I think a lot of Eastern spiritual traditions might offer,、mm-hmm. which is enlightenment, or、okay. you know,、mm-hmm, yes, wherein you kind of like climb this mountain or at least dive into something. You know, it's it's an effort to reach a point of. I don't know oneness or enlightenment or、mm-hmm. intelligence. I don't know how you know.、Yeah. You know, in, in contrast to that, our spiritual tradition believes that love again is seeking us. Yes. Right.、Um, it's after me, and once we actually、um, are found.、Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've heard what I've heard Bishop Barron use the term. Uh, spiritual metaphysics, you know,、oh, but、okay. but I I kind of like want to describe it as maybe you can call it the physics of love、hmm. or the inertia of love, you know,、hmm. wherein when you when you live into your being a beloved yes individual, it's inevitable that you're you're moved out of yourself. There is a prompt towards service.、Mm. There's a prompt towards generosity. There's a stimulus,、yes. which is almost irresistible. Like you can't contain it. That's you, you a good know, point. You know, you、yeah. know, I agree with you. you you're、yeah. moved. It's like there's this huge inertia that's driving you outward.、Mm. You know, that's sending you on a mission. You know, that's calling you, and we've、yes. we've talked about this call、yes. in our vocation multiple times,、yeah. and I think it's not. Um, coincidental that we call it a 
a call instead of a goal because a goal seems to be something you've created yes in yourself Mm -hmm. and 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 our american culture Mm -hmm. especially in this century is all about self-definition like what what do i want what makes me happy what's my passion you know you know (laughs) it's all about this self-defined uh life plan or or -hmm. or goal but love isn't about at least the biblical love that we're talking about it's it's it calls you out of that and, and it, it, it sends you out of it. But yeah. so when you say that, as you use those words, then it's love as liberation. Yeah. Right. From yourself. From yourself. Which is, which is yeah. uh, completely countercultural to our present day, yes. you know? Yes. Uh, and, um, and it's funny too, because for most people, uh, I think they would also, even, even in, even in the context of, oh yeah, you know, I'm called to medicine to serve others, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's that's noble. I, I agree, you know. Yes. But it's funny in it, again, you wouldn't expect that in at least in this spiritual level of of living, the service really isn't about changing life or others. Mm. The service is to change you. Yes. Love ultimately the divine love, the divine reality ultimately aims to transform you and you know your goals of changing the world of curing (laughs) others of being the healer to your patients Mm -hmm. all of it it doesn't matter it does not matter and yet it still matters amazingly both Both yes (laughs) right right Mm-hmm. The the outcomes, I guess, is the, this is this is where I'm I'm mm-hmm. headed again. The outcomes mm-hmm. start mattering less. Yes, because you can't define those outcomes because the outcomes are even more surprising than anything you would have imagined. Exactly, <laughs> the outcomes, in fact, can only be seen in the eyes of eternity, and mm. we don't have that. We don't have. You that. mentioned something like this before, mm. like uh, in I think it was. Anyway, it was one of our episodes and you said, you know, if if you're following that call in the presence of the patient, in that encounter, in that whatever, 30 minutes, five minutes encounter, you know, mm-hmm. if you're deeply following that call, it doesn't matter whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes, you said that the healing has happened. Yes. You know. For me, um, I'm I'm even gonna maybe push that further. Okay. Because for me, healing it's possible that healing mm-hmm. did not happen. Ah. But mm-hmm. that's not the point. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay whether or not healing happens, yeah. despite that being our vocation. Mm-hmm. The vocation suddenly becomes a compass rather than a a destination like it yes. it points you in the direction of healing mm-hmm. you know but whether or not you're able to heal the people is not up to you right. you're just an instrument yes you're just a servant right i think that for me is the definition of this ministry thing i love that you know because what i'm hearing you say is that in the moment what matters is that you know you recognize your belovedness and in your belovedness you're present to another person because they're because, beloved because too. Because they're also beloved, yes. And so it's just belovedness and love. Just yeah. And, it, yeah, but that's so hard to happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Well, see, the, when you said that, you know, it's it's 
when you said that that phrase, it's all just belovedness and love. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. life ceases to be something you do. Mm -hmm. Life starts becoming something that happens to you. Yes. You know, yes. and and then life becomes again this word you've mentioned inv an invitation, mm -hmm. an invitation to surrender, mm -hmm. to just be. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question becomes, how does this tie into burnout? Hmm. You know, I mean, and for me, I think it's, you know, one of the reasons we're also burnt out, which I don't think we've touched on a lot before, is because it's hard for us as clinicians not to focus on the outcomes. Hmm. And when, you know, this, uh, this, this idea of moral injury you know, I think is closely tied to the fact that we can't do what we feel like we're supposed to be doing. Mm. Hence, we don't see the outcomes we're supposed to be seeing, or at least what we think in our mind should sure. be, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the All the outcomes that we're told to focus on, at least top down, is just the numbers. They are. You're right. You know, mm -hmm. and we're always, you know, at the end of the quarter... You get this report. These are your numbers. These are your numbers. AKA, these are your outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know? and that's where we become defined. And even though we try to resist that, it's really hard oh, to do hard. that. It's hard. Right? It's, because it's, they put it in your face. They put it in your face. They tie that to a financial sort of outcome for mm -hmm. you. And then there's this comparison even just within with other clinicians mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. oh i'm in the i'm in the top or bottom this or percentile, that percentile yeah exactly, yes. exactly so yeah so how do you yeah how do you how how can you fight against that when that weight is always on your mind mm -hmm. too and i think this this idea of medicine mm -hmm. as a ministry again we're not here yeah. to give advice if you don't feel like medicine is a ministry that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you feel like it's a job and something else mm -hmm. is your ministry, yep, that's, that's okay. okay. You know, Absolutely. you know, and so, but this invitation to consider medicine as a ministry, I think allows us mm -hmm. some means of detachment from those outcomes. Yes. And going back too to your definition about ministry and then the word service, you know, that, that really resonated with me because that's something that I think about a lot, right? Mm. What's the difference between servitude and service, mm. right? So when you're talking about who is your master, right? If your master is love, then service becomes, you know, the ministry. And that that is an energized type of love, as mm. you speak about, yeah. right? Yeah. Compared to if your master is, you know, not love, mm. right? Something else. Something else. Then there is a, there's a sense of servitude yes right and that is an exhausted kind of giving to depletion well i think that's the paradox of love mm -hmm. because when you're a slave mm -hmm. to love mm -hmm. you're actually freed oh, i know right you but, are but but it's we only encounter it there mm -hmm. you can't encounter that mm -hmm. anywhere else no servitude and enslavement to anything else. And my friends, we're all slaves to something. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I am speaking mm -hmm. for myself. And same, you know, um, when you're a slave to something else, you're in chains. Yeah. You know, uh, mm -hmm. but when you're when you're uh, in servitude of love, mm -hmm. um, there's this incredible sense of 
again, interior freedom mm -hmm. uh, that, that for all intents and purposes, contradicts the external lack of choices that we may have in medicine as yes as physicians mm -hmm. i think the amount of external choices that clinicians have especially in primary care mm -hmm. are being restrained more and more by the day mm. would you agree with that i would agree with I that i mean clinical algorithms sure. you know reimbursement rates mm -hmm. you know oh, sure. you know lab tests that insurances will or will not reimburse yes <laughs> you know yes even despite despite giving the quote-unquote correct icd-10 diagnosis mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? out of the tens of thousands icd-10 yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. which is the right one i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm yeah. speaking here to our fellow colleagues i mean non-clinicians might not um understand that um inside comment but i mean suffice it to say that doctors uh, especially in primary care, uh, are are being restrained, I think, more and more in terms of what they can and can't do, mm -hmm. uh, at least yeah. in the traditional yes. uh, system. But, mm -hmm. again, because there is a master, I'm, a, I'm tempted to say it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think we have to keep clarifying this too because, you know, when... Love is such a tricky thing. Yes. Right? And I think that until, and you've said it, until we actually experience this type of love that you and I are talking about, mm -hmm. a love of that liberates us, then it's going to be hard to understand um, it. Because I think most of us in the world experience love as manipulation, mm -hmm. right? So how often do we say, if you love me, you will do this, or I love you, and so I'm going to give all of myself to you until I'm suffering so badly and you feel guilty until, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that is, love is manipulation, and that can never free us. And yet that's the only, not the only, but it's oftentimes the way that we are taught to live our lives. Mm. It has to be a, tra a transactional, I give you this and you give me enough in return. You know, and what you're giving me is not enough because I don't feel, you know, it's so how, you know, how, how can we, um, yeah, how can we, for some people, speak into this love is liberation? I think we just keep kind of pointing to it, you know, just yeah, keep trying. Yeah. It's going it's, to be it's, difficult it's to really, yeah, exactly. I think especially, so we touched on non-duality the last time. Mm -hmm. And I think. This is where profound love and suffering, mm. uh, and Richard Rohr has again mentioned this. Uh, I've said that multiple times already. Um, this is where profound love and suffering essentially become equals. Mm -hmm. Because both, both profound love and suffering can place us in a situation wherein we're, we have no choice but to surrender. Mm. We have, well, let me, let me rephrase that, that our best option <laughs> is to surrender because we can resist it all we can. Mm -hmm. And by resisting it, we're just hurting ourselves. Yes. You know, we can resist love. We can. We can you know, resist love. In the same manner that we try to resist suffering, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But... When we assume that predisposition to receive both, and we've talked about this in, as grace, you know, yes. 
when we assume that predisposition, um, I think that's the very first step to experiencing that kind of, um, how do I say it? Isness of things, <laughs> of just like letting things be. be. Yes. Yes. Without judgment, mm-hmm. whether it's hurting you, whether it's making you happy, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yes. Reality, you said this is reality does not need you to like it to, <laughs> to be, be reality. Yes. You know, um, very true. And we we just keep pointing to it because it's it's a mystery. We it's yeah. like Yeah. You can't <laughs> it's something you need to experience, mm-hmm. I, I suppose. But yes. but I, I I dare to say that burnout can bring you to that experience. Yes. Yes. And I would say that it, I think in our own lives, it, it has shown that to be the case. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. Uh, yeah. I also like the fact that uh, Dr. Athanasius mm-hmm. mentioned that word powerlessness. Oh, that struck me too. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the superabundance of things before and, and how living into the giftedness of everything also makes you realize your ultimate poverty. Yes. You know, in the 12-step program, again, I'm going back to this AA experience, you know, mm-hmm. I think if not the first step, if but one of the first steps is to acknowledge your powerlessness. Yes. And in our spiritual tradition, we call that poverty. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor. Yes. That was the first Oh, beatitude, yeah, that was. You know? yeah. It's the first beatitude. And go figure, it's the first step in mm-hmm. the 12 steps, you know. <laughs> um, we, we, when we acknowledge our, mm-hmm. our complete dependence on... The divine. So that is super interesting. Yeah, that, that that's the very first one. And, and and as you're saying that, I'm reflecting for myself, right. So often we say, oh, I have no power in this. But in fact, we still live in the world as if we have utter control of it. Yeah. Right. When we say actually that, mm-hmm. oh, crap, or mm-hmm. oh, F this, mm-hmm. you know, I have no control over this. Mm-hmm. That expletive is mm-hmm. coming out of the, our mm-hmm. our efforts to control it. <laughs> yes, it is. There's no surrender That's... there. Yes. Yeah. You know, true. you're you're saying, mm-hmm. oh, sh-, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, crap. You know, <laughs> I, I can't control this because you're trying to control trying, it. Yeah. That's the resistance. That's the resistance. Mm-hmm. That's the resistance. Mm-hmm. But when you step back, usually, if I'm if I may invite people in silence, you know. <laughs> Or in some kind of uh, prayerful stance or meditation or whatever, mindfulness. Again, I'm not trying to convince you to become a Christian, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, usually in some kind of silent and open mm-hmm. attitude yes. to suffering, yeah. to burnout, to whatever pain you may be facing right now. Mm-hmm. And just allow it to be and wash over you and allow yourself to hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and acknowledge that mm-hmm. um, things start changing by themselves. They do. They In do. fact, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I'm wrong. You start changing mm-hmm. gradually mm-hmm. without any effort mm-hmm. of your own. In fact... That's so paradoxical. The less we try to resist, mm-hmm. the more 
mm-hmm. we are transformed. That is very true. And in, in the not resisting, we are more open to everything around us versus mm-hmm. seeing only with what we, with our limited eyes can see, mm-hmm. right? So, so it is that responsiveness and openness to the world versus the reactivity that occurs when we're only seeing with the eyes of the mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Compared to the eyes of the mind that sees and then the eyes of the heart that expands into eternity or the eyes of the divine mind i mean you can Mm -hmm. say that too which is not i mean well it's not ours but at the same time it's there it's it we are there's an again i mean we're not even existing outside of this divine reality Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i mean and we're we're called to a deeper dimension of living Mm -hmm. i think that allows us yeah that that grace, yes. that grace, because I, I'm going to be honest, I can't see that on my own. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my own intellect is just very, very small, <laughs> you know, you're talking about eternity, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, True. you know, we're, we're not, not saying even that we know this is right, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that as scientists, yes. as physicians, I can tell you that this is actually testable. Mm-hmm. I I invite our colleagues to get into this experiment hmm. like a scientist. You know, there you go. I've heard this um, Irish apologist once. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, but um, he was on YouTube, and he goes like, "A lot of atheists um, rest on the premise that." You cannot test the spiritual life or their spiritual reality. Mm. But I actually invite you to consider that it is. It is testable. Live this life. Mm. Live this life of love for a year. See how your life will change. And at the end of the experiment, you decide. Wow. Right? Isn't that a powerful powerful. um, statement to say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's an invitation to all of us. And I would say even those, you know, even for us Christians to believe so fully in this life of love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, It's, you know, I think the labels for all of us are, and maybe that's the tricky part, right? Like the labels start to define things in a way where people want to resist because Mm. like that's not, that can't be like the the full definition or, you know, you have to be able to limit and define God and God is holy mystery and eternity. And every time we try to go that big, everybody just sort of gives up. (laughs) It's too big. No, it's it's not real. It's true. It's true. I mean, I mean, I I, I, I felt that urge myself. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think too, when we think about the profound, Found, you know, you're talking about the profound, like suffering and profound, like um, love, right? I mean, right now, the like the violence that is happening right now is everywhere, right? We come out of this year, these years of COVID, like going inwards, going like stepping away from everybody. Now, as we're stepping out into the world, the world seems even more and more violent and uncertain and anxiety provoking and all of these things. And in the midst of that profound of suffering, I can hear people say, why are you talking about love? Yeah. Right. We have to, we have to react right now and like change things right now and fix things right now. And, you know, again, fear does not change the hearts of people yeah and it's hearts that have to change in order to change like 
fully change like systems and and all that sort of thing yeah right? yeah and i think it's even well going but mm-hmm. I, I i like that you touched on that mm-hmm. because i think universal change I, I think most of us will agree that universal mm-hmm. change will o- only happen when everyone decides to change all mm-hmm. at the same time yeah but again g- going back to the notion of the, you know acts of service implying that we are servants to a master mm. mm-hmm. okay um if i go back to that you know yes we should do our best to change everything around us for the better but in the end mm-hmm. it's the master's work mm. the master is the one working yeah um, i mean it, it's hard to say this or rather it's hard to hear this mm. okay and it's easy to say this now for me in, in in my current life situation but believe it or not once you are able to touch this level of and and I'm not I'm not saying that I'm always at my best spiritually you know but but I have recognized this level of living once or twice maybe you know briefly but once you've touched that, you realize that you don't need to change anything. Mm-hmm. Things will change. Yeah. And I think for me in my life, that's been the definition of faith now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about you know faith in believing, uh, believing in something that I can't prove. It's not that anymore. It's, it's there's that. a knowledge that there is something beyond what i experience in life you know there is there is something called eternity you know there's that's kind of those are kind of like given now at least in my mind it's about trust now faith has mm-hmm. become about trusting that how do i say this that um calvary mm-hmm. is not the destination it's only a stop because the destination is is resurrection mm. you know mm. the cross is only the way mm. so when we are suffering yeah you you can at least acknowledge that we're on the way <laughs> we're on the way yeah you know yeah and and faith my faith at least tells me that the the end is the the resurrection and yeah. we'll find it there mm-hmm. 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 yeah but that doesn't mean we again we that doesn't mean we let all of this go you know and say oh yeah you know violence is there whatever mm-hmm. you know it's not that it's not no, that it's not that at all you know in fact like i said earlier love prompts you moves you to serve yes yeah but not but but the goal isn't the transformation of things around you the goal is the transformation of you. Yes, yes. And it's just so wild because what you might see on the outside is the same thing happening. And yet because inside what is so different, it just it changes it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it, it is. It's truly incredible. But, um, I, I can't even put words to it now. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for spending time with us today. And uh, I will again reiterate our 
call to physicians out there. If you are a doctor working in the healthcare system or retired or studying to be a doctor, you know, a medical student or a resident, and you feel so moved to share your burnout journey uh, with us, please email us your story to physiciansheal at gmail.com. Again, physiciansheal at gmail.com. And um, we'll definitely uh, want to share your story. We will definitely keep you anonymous as well. And um, it doesn't have to have any kind of like big lessons. You just, if you just want to share your story, we will definitely do that. And please check our show notes for additional information and see you at our next episode.